Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ah, yes, the magnificent Trolley Sourbright Crawler, also known as Trollicus brightolus. The worm's captivating neon colour makes it an easy gummy prey. Trolley! It's a surprisingly sour, invitingly chewy, staggeringly snackable species unlike anything else found on this planet. Eat me! Delicious. Visit trolley.com to shop now. Trolley, eat me! If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! This is Olive Magazine Podcast, a weekly slice of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host. So this week's podcast is a bit different. Because of the lockdown situation, we can no longer do face-to-face chats. But we've got some really clever ways of doing remote interviews that shouldn't mean the sound quality suffers too much, as I know that's an issue for a lot of podcast listeners. So from next week, we'll be back with our usual mix of entertaining, educational, and most importantly, in these times, useful podcasts. And if there's anything you want us to record a podcast about, you can get in touch either by email at oliveletters at immediate.co.uk or through our Facebook page or Instagram. So in the meantime, we've got over 190 podcasts in our back catalogue for you to explore. This week, I'm going to be highlighting three of my favourites with some little teaser clips to give you a taste of what we do. Okay, so first up is my interview with Felicity Cloak, who you may know from her weekly perfect column in the Guardian newspaper. Last year, she spent the summer cycling and eating her way around France with the view of trying the iconic dishes of each region. And in this clip, she explains why she shares the French obsession with food museums and how her journey sometimes became a bit of an eating marathon. And if you want to listen to the full episode, look out for number 156. Can we talk about your food museum obsession? Because (laughs) I went on a trip to Cork with Felicity and I noticed on the itinerary on the Monday morning was going to the Butter Museum and I was like... I'm not going to the Butter Museum. I've got to go and find some really good coffee shops to like recommend for a travel guide. So you tooled off to the Butter Museum. And it wasn't until I read this book that I thought, oh my God, she's obsessed with museums. <laughs> and the, the stranger the museum, the better. I love a weird museum. I mean, I can heartily, off topic, heartily recommend the Butter Museum in Cork. It's excellent. Yeah, I kind of wish I'd gone now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, 
Yeah, I mean, France is full of these strange little Properly, museums too. Properly, like, niche as well. Yeah, so the um, the funniest one that I came across, there was the Brie Museum, which yeah. was, was good value. A lot of um, old Brie packaging through mm. the ages, which I enjoyed. Um, but the funniest one was in the Loire Valley, the mm. Apple Tapping oh, the Museum. Apple ta- I love that. And... What I was surprised about, one, was that we weren't the only people at the Apple Tapping Museum. It was full. It, it was, was full you know, it was, it was a big party ahead of us. Um, the Apple Tapping Museum said there was an industry when Phylloxera devastated the um, local vineyards mm. in the 19th century. They turned to um, f- other fruit instead. Yeah. And they had these, they said, what they did with the apples was they dried them in an oven, but also they had people hitting them with a little <laughs> hammer. Like, I think it took about four days yeah. and they kept hitting them at regular intervals until they were like this squashed, dried yeah. apple um, that was very compact. And then you could take it to sea or whatever as sort of a portable source of vitamin C. Yeah. An entire museum <laughs> devoted to this. Quite cottage industry. Yeah. Um, that was absolutely hilarious. And it I think was... each museum was quite... Um, they tend to have an instructional video or some mm. kind of actor telling yes. you the story. Yeah, of. there's must be money put into these museums. <laughs> I mean, even if you don't go, I would advise uh, maybe having a look at the TripAdvisor reviews for these because they are also quite funny. Yeah. Um, some people love the museum. Some people are a little bit disappointed by um, a large cave in Loire Valley with a display <laughs> of apple corers. Yeah. And I think you had like, there was the the Ham Museum as well, which had kind of happy pigs. Yeah, so many photos of (laughs) happy pigs before they were made into ham. Um, Lots of inspirational quotes about the, you know, the position of, this was down in Bayonne near the Spanish border, about the position of the Basque pig Mm. in local culture. And so they're just very, very proud still of their local food traditions in a way that's definitely, you know, become much more the case in this country recently. But in France, it never went away Mm. and they are properly, they shout about it Mm. and they make a big deal of it. And that was great. You know, for someone traveling around writing a book, it was ideal. Yeah, I think um, another quite amusing bit was where you you sort of tricked a friend of yours um to go to to try and go to the oyster museum because you because it was really it was signposted and you were like oh look we just happened to have come across the oyster museum um luckily for him it was shut because you'd said it was a one and a half hour tour that you were getting really excited about i was thinking this girl is nuts um but just thinking about oysters there's a great um chapter where you go and track down um, which which area was that again? Where the oysters? Where you ate the giant horse uh, hoof so oyster? That is Cancal, which yeah. is in Brittany, quite near Saint Malo, yeah, for its seafood. Yeah, and oysters particularly. It's a massive industry there because the Bay of Mont Saint Michel, where mm. you know the famous um, island is, yeah, um, has very sh- very. Um, Minerally? Uh, no. no, it's the tides. Oh, like are, the tidals. A, yeah, yeah, there's a great tidal, you know, difference between the tide going in and out. Yeah. So it's, as it was explained to us by the oyster <laughs> experts, because um, the oyster, luckily the oyster museum did open after lunch. Oh, you so did? We did get <laughs> you did get after to see all. It. Yeah. Explained to us that because of the tides um, being very strong, mm. um, it really works the oyster muscle oh, because okay. they have to spend a lot of time keeping their shell closed yeah. when the tide's out. Um, and so... Um, they make particularly good oysters there or grow particularly good oysters. Um, And they have in Cancal, which is quite a small village on the coast, obviously, um, they have an oyster market Mm. um, just on the quay. 
and just little stalls selling oysters that to the untrained eye, i.e. me, because I haven't been to the museum yet, they all look the same. And I was wandering around thinking, how do I pick between all of yeah. these oysters? Like, you know, if it's a cheese market, I've got an idea of what I'm looking for, but yeah. with oysters. So I just went for the biggest one, <laughs> yeah. find, which was a mistake, actually. I think the guy told you it was 15 years 15 old, years which made me feel really sad because I've got it being grown and you had to cut it into six well, sections to eat. You had to, to give eat. me, so in general, it they just give terrifying. you like a little wooden fork yeah. and you eat it, you know, out of, you know, sitting on the seawall, you chuck the shell back onto the beach yeah. where it becomes sand again. Um, and it's all very casual. And but this one, he said, oh, Madame, I'm going to have to give you my knife to cut this oyster <laughs> because you won't be able to do it with the little wooden fork. And I thought, oh, what have I got myself yeah. into here? An oyster that needs cutting with a proper metal knife. Yeah. Um, so that was a little bit concerning. And it was it was huge. It was about the size probably of a digestive biscuit, but quite deep as oh, well. And yeah, I just, I found the whole thing slightly off-putting and I didn't eat any other oysters, I don't think, for the entire trip. <laughs> I felt like I'd had enough with that oyster. You're not a woman who's scared of a food challenge though, are you? I've never seen you, like, kind of, even when no. someone's put something weird down in front of you, you're like, yeah, yeah, come on. I'll try, I'd say that I'd try anything once. Yeah. So the oyster, I tried, the massive oyster, I tried once. But you wouldn't go back there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back for the big oyster because mm. I think that actually the flavour is better sweet, with the small yeah. ones. Um, but say down in um, Lyon, mm. where they're very famous for the, got these restaurants called Bouchon, which are sort of quite rustic um, food, wine straight from the barrel, really yeah. good fun. Um, and they serve a lot of sort of deep fried tripe and these andouillettes, which are the sausages that famous are not sausages. for the faint hearted. No. They smell. Um, they're quite farmyardy. They're they? very. Kind I mean, farmyardy <laughs> is the polite way of putting it. Um, <laughs> like something you swept off the farmyard floors. Mm, you know. Yes. Let's stop there. But anyway, so I've I had them before. But I knew that I had to try them again because they're a big deal in Lyon yeah. and I felt like national pride was at stake. So <laughs> luckily I wasn't on my own. I had a crack team actually of eaters that yeah. were assembled. Only my pregnant friend Ali was excused from eating everything. <laughs> I gave her dispensation. Everyone else had to eat everything. And we got the andouillette and actually, I don't know, it came in a mustard sauce yeah. and it was quite delicious. Once you, Once you sort of make peace with the idea that texturally it's not like a you know a very smooth it's not like a frankfurter or something where it's no. very smooth there's lots of different bits bits in what that sausage what's it actually made of it's um sort of it so it's sort of in intestine and other other organs so there's a yeah. few tubes and fronds and stuff but it's once, not entry level offal though is it it's, it's proper like no i mean <laughs> You know, it, it's not. If you want entry level offer, I would say go for the sweetbreads, which right. are everywhere in France. It just tastes like poached blunt. chicken, as far yeah. as I can tell. There, yeah. you know, if you want to show off and be brave, yeah. but not actually be <laughs> that brave, go for sweetbreads. They literally just taste like chicken. Um, anyway, so we had the sausage, and I thought it was quite nice. Yeah. But then I just thought that I bet British people order those sausages the whole time and don't finish them. Yeah. So I made us all eat every, every last bit. bite of that sausage. <laughs> like, we are not leaving. Yeah. No one is leaving this table until the sausage is finished. And did they look impressed at your... Uh... Or were they, they just were, like there, they weren't bothered? I think they were impressed by the amount of wine we drank, to be honest. <laughs> to get it down. <laughs> the Brits were arrived. 
Next, we have Richard Makin, who you may know as School Night Vegan. He's a blogger and Instagrammer. Richard went from veggie to vegan a couple of years ago and started uploading his experiments in vegan cooking online. He's an absolute genius at veganizing popular recipes. His tagline is, anything you can cook, I can cook vegan. And he's an expert on ingredients. So here's a clip of us talking about his vegan mozzarella recipe and how that went viral and also learning about some vegan meat substitutes and how to use them. And if you want to listen to the full episode of this one, look out for number 155. Let's talk about the mozzarella. Yeah, uh, let's. That's been featuring in my feed quite a lot. It's been going crazy. And I keep looking at it and going, how did he do, how (laughs) did he make that? Like, it looks like mozzarella and it pulls apart in strings like mozzarella. Just as an example of how you developed the recipes, how did you come about with that? I mean, I think it's, I'm definitely not the first person to try and make a vegan mozzarella recipe. And there's quite a few out there if you search for them, but there's also quite a few bad ones out there. It's ones that don't either look really nice and taste horrible or look horrible and taste really nice. So I tried, Mm. I've maybe made about 20 different people's vegan mozzarella recipes and looked at what ingredients were in each Mm. and what they sort of what they did for the recipe, whether they made it solid or helped it melt or helped it brown or whatever. And then just sort of pieced it together myself. I maybe tried my own recipe about 15 times um, until I finally put it on a piece of toast and put it under the grill and it browned and it melted and it smells good. And (laughs) I can't tell you, I literally ran upstairs to my husband with a plate of toast and just went, look, (laughs) it's cheese on toast. Like it was some... (laughs) Like a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Look what I've done. Yeah. And I think, again, to go back, like... That's another one of the reasons why I just love vegan cooking is that a plate of cheese on toast can give you that much joy yeah. because I thought I'd said goodbye to vegan to cheese on toast when yeah. I went vegan and there's no need. You've just got to, you know, work a little bit harder than most people. And you've had quite a lot of people making that mozzarella as well. It's gone you? absolutely yeah. bonkers. <laughs> it's gone bonkers and people people have been putting it on on pizzas, on toast, on yeah. Viral on, mozzarella. Went a little bit crazy. Yeah. Pasta bakes. I I put it in a um, mac and cheese just the other day, oh, God, and it was insane. So Absolutely insane. It had all of these big stringy bits. What of is that ingredient that you use in it, which begins with P? I can't remember the name. Psyllium husk. I think yeah, it's. Pronounced. I'll let you say it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if that's right because I've only ever seen it written down. Yeah. But so that's the thing that creates the string. That's the thing. So that is used by vegans across the world as an egg replacer, oh. and it's quickly taking over from flax. you might have seen flaxseed yeah, is quite flax popular quite a lot, yeah. flax has got quite a strong flavour right. um, it tastes quite bitter okay. but psyllium husk has got zero as far as I'm concerned mm. zero flavour and it's also a lot more powerful so you need to replace one egg one teaspoon of psyllium husk wow. so it's really really strong really so that boisterous. is like next generation vegan ingredients yeah, yeah. Let's, so. let's talk about some classic um, vegan ingredients because um, this month you've written vegan barbecue and and we've got a lot of vegan barbecue recipes mm-hmm. on the website already which were just using vegetables yeah. and we thought we need um we need some guidance about how to use those meat substitutes mm-hmm. because some people kind of want the mouth feel and the bounce and the, like the chew of you know what they're missing so um can we talk about some of those substitutes of First, the brilliantly named Satan, which yeah. seems to have taken over the vegan world in just, the past couple of years. Just off the back of the yeah, eight just off million the back of the name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I mean, Satan's one of my favorites. It's obviously, it's made from wheat gluten, yeah. so it's obviously not great for celiacs, but um, for texture, like you mentioned, yeah. it's nothing comes close. It's depending on how you prepare it. It pulls apart like meat. Mm. You can bake it, you can roast it, you can fry it, you can do anything with it. And it's as long as you've got the ingredients, which is basically just wheat, wheat gluten. So it looks like a, a flour when it comes in yeah, a bag. It yeah? looks exactly like okay. flour. And I tend to mix it with a little bit of um, uh, chickpea flour, right. which just helps to, because it's, it's gluten, right? Yeah. It's gluten is it's sort of, it's like glue, right. basically. So the chickpea flour just helps to stop it from going okay. way too chewy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it takes a fair while to, to, to cook, um, but it's 100% worth Because the recipe you've done for us is a seitan burger. Yeah. And um, you've added in some um, mushrooms, shiitake, shiitake yeah. mushrooms, which have got, again, have got that lovely kind of bounce mm -hmm. to them. And the shiitake mushrooms um, also give it a bit of texture as well. So if you look at yeah. the picture of it in the magazine, it actually looks like a burger. Mm -hmm. They also give a, a lot of umami, which is course. something that I feel like... Because the seitan itself doesn't really have... No, it sort of tastes a bit bready, actually, yeah. I guess, because it's made with gluten. gluten but yeah. um, it's not like you have to try and mask that flavour. But if you want it to taste like meat or at least close to meat, mm. you need a bit of umami in there. You need that sort of salty sweetness. And shiitake is such a meaty mm. vegetable anyway. They also offer that like bounce and, yeah. and chew. And I think in the recipe, you you kind of make it into, you make it into patties and steam them, which That's gives right. you a bit of lightness. Mm -hmm. And then you grill it to get the exactly. texture on the outside. Yeah, so, so seitan is pretty much always a, a two-stage prep. Yeah. You have to steam it or boil it or or roast it before you cook, cook it, it finally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it will just be quite gummy, yeah. quite sort of... Um, quite difficult to chew. It's so worth it though, because if yeah. you have people come in, I guess you could do the first stage the day before. Exactly, just keep it in the fridge. Get your barbie out, whack the burgers That's on exactly there. exactly what I'm going to do for my birthday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got a birthday party coming up in, in June and yeah. I'm going to prep 8 million of those burgers yeah. and just... I highly recommend the Satan Burger in Olive Magazine this month. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and then um, a new one on me, uh, which is Temper. Tell us about that. Yeah, Either temper or tempeh. I don't know how you... Oh, I don't know. I say tempeh, but I've, I say again, it's one of those things that I've seen. think of tiny temper, but yeah, yeah. Well, that's an Instagram <laughs> handle. I think she's got tiny temper. Yes, so tempeh is made from fermented soybeans, mm. which less and less, but the more you... When you put fermented in, in front of something, it sort of turns a lot of people off. But, but trust actually, me, it's it just really... makes it really umami again, yeah, doesn't it? Exactly. So this does come with flavour. It does. Yeah. It's absolutely packed with flavour, and you can smoke it. You can um, you can fry it. You can season it however you want to, yeah. and it even adds you know more flavour. People use it as bake as a bacon replacement yeah. quite a lot in like a, a BLT. Yeah. But yeah, it's you. This has got way less of of a meaty texture because it's it's actually just compressed whole mm. soybeans that are that are fermented over time. So you can see the soybeans in in it. In it. Um, so but there is, but there is texture in there. It's not. It's just got a chew. Yeah, yeah, it's got, it's got a, a chew and a bounce to it. To it. Yeah. Um, but you, it's delicious. Yeah. It's really, really good. And how does that, that comes, I mean, we got it, um, I think we got it vac packed in like yeah. a, a big chunk exactly. that you can, so for the recipe you did for us, I think we had some glazed um, kebabs. That's right. And, um, and then you sort of put the temper on with 
pineapple. Is yes, that right? exactly. Yeah. And that was really good. I guess because it's so it's it's so marmy. It made sense to have something quite sweet involved there as yeah, well. Yeah, but that's I think that's a little bit easier for people maybe wanting a <clears throat> an entry level thing. You can buy that in a pack, cut it up, mm-hmm. marinate it, and then just kind of cook it off on the barbecue. So you don't yeah. have to do as much prep with that. Not at all. And you can get it low. You can get it in supermarkets, but it's much cheaper and you get much bigger portions if you go to an Oriental supermarket. Of some oh, really? Sort. Oh, so it's been around it's for usually, a while. It's an ancient, yeah, Chinese. I think it's Chinese anyway. Ancient Chinese yeah. ingredient that they use, you know, a lot in yeah. cooking. And then another ingredient, which is super trendy at the minute, the mm-hmm. jackfruit. Yeah. What do we do without jackfruit? I, I mean, seriously. I know. It's like, a, a, how long How long ago do you reckon this popped up on our consciousness? Like a couple of years ago, Well, it depends maybe? who you ask, because it's been cooked. It's it's a staple of Caribbean foods yeah, and lots of Yeah, that's what I mean. But like well. here, I, I just seem to suddenly, jackfruit burgers were five everywhere. Five years ago? Was it five? Maybe, something maybe. like that. Um okay. I don't know. I mean, I first heard about it from Biff's Jack Shack, who's like yes. a London vegan street food trader. Yeah, yeah. This was before I was even vegan and his burgers are just crazy good. Really, yeah. really nice. But that one, it's all about texture, yeah. I think, with jackfruit. It pulls apart. I guess it, it sort of aligns with the pulled pork craze, which Yeah, everybody said, because you kind of cover, you know, you you would cook it in a smoky sweet sauce. Yeah, and nice then, barbecue sauce. Can you describe the texture? It's, it's like it. pulled pork. Yeah. It's really, I, I mean you have to pull it apart with with two yeah. forks or a, or a masher or whatever to get it that way but if you buy it, it has to be young unripe jackfruit yeah so um, green green drag, jackfruit that's right but and that's before it gets too much flavor as well otherwise it becomes really sweet um but when it's nice and young and green it's got virtually no sweetness to it mm. um and it pulls apart Exactly like Paul. And would you say like it's a texture thing more than a, a taste thing with jackfruit? I think it's more of a vessel. Yeah. It takes on whatever you whatever you season it with. And that's why I did a really strong barbecue sauce with yeah. that one because one. it soaks it up like a sponge for one. Yeah. And two, the texture really does kick butt like it's in a slider, which we've which we've done in the mag. It's yeah. It, it holds its It's own. in there with a really lovely mustardy slaw, nice slaw which yeah. had a proper kick to it, which I love because <laughs> I love mustard. Um but like in terms of buying, you said you can get it in you can get it in tins. It's we we've bought it in now. like because if we actually this is how naive I was. I went online to go, oh, I'm just going to buy some jackfruit. Like, I'll buy a jackfruit in it. Have you seen they're them huge. in their native state? And they're, they're pretty like, intimidating because yeah, they're, they're quite spiky. Yeah, they're about 15 kilos or something. <laughs> it was going to cost me 50 quid to buy a whole one from yeah. an online. But then I realised that you, once you cut it open, they've got these kind of lo- lobes inside exactly, um, yeah. that you pull out of the casing and then that is the jackfruit flesh. That's it. So in a lot of... Um, uh, supermarket like specialty supermarkets you can buy it in a in a kind of vac- um, shrink wrapped yeah. thing in the fresh department or as well or in cans or in know, cans which is really easy water and yeah. yeah all you have to do is drain it and cook it at yeah. that stage I mean I used to live before I left London I used to live in Brixton right near Brixton which would be a great source for so it any kind of Afro-Caribbean in. supermarkets I carried real uh, maybe like two full jackfruits under my arm oh, on the on the on the bus up to Brixton Hill you on many occasions yeah. <laughs> until I discovered the cans. Quite a good sight. <laughs> okay, so next we have cheesemonger Morgan McGlynn, who's got a gorgeous little cheese shop near me in Muswell Hill in North London. Um, so Morgan wrote a brilliant book last year called The Modern Cheesemaker 
which teaches you how to make your own cheese at home using very simple equipment and a few ingredients. So again, quite useful in these times. In this clip, she's shown me how to make fresh ricotta using just whole milk and vinegar and a bit of salt. And this is episode 147 if you want to track down the full recording. On to cheese making, because we can talk through each stage as, yes. we, as we actually do it here and now. So um, we're gonna, what are we going to make today? So I think we're going to make fresh ricotta. Oh, nice. Because it can be made quite quickly yeah. um, and it means that I can show you quite easily how to make it. There's no real downtime. No. In between, normally you leave about an hour to let it sit, yeah. but we can eat it quite fresh and warm. It okay. doesn't matter. Great. <laughs> and because like, I was thinking about, um, I know often with... Uh, Italian recipes for making um, like nudi, you know that the yeah, yeah. the little dumplings which are made just with ricotta and um, um, I think it's just ricotta and semolina and then maybe some spinach in there as well, but they don't put any flour in, and they always call for like getting your ricotta from a cheesemonger because it's much drier, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas so, stuff you get from the supermarket can be quite wet. Well, that's the thing. They're leaving it in the water for so yeah. long to preserve it. Yeah. The nice thing about this is you can make it as creamy as you like or as dry as you like. So I've got two recipes in the book. One is a normal ricotta yeah. and then one is a ridiculously indulgent ricotta, okay. which is adding double cream wow. to the recipe. Because ricotta, <laughs> it's usually quite a healthy cheesemonger <laughs> and you've just made it into something. I know, that, like, there's the healthy option and yeah. then the treat option <laughs> but the reason I like the creamy one is it's so good to kind of you know like pistachio nuts and honey yeah, for breakfast God, yeah. so just like spread on toast yeah, I Yum. think that's it that's the nice yeah. of doing it and I think it's about things I would do yeah. and I know that the the yummy healthy one is fantastic yeah. <laughs> but also the indulgent, the one, indulgent is one is good really as well good. cool okay so let's start off yes. with um with the milk okay because that is one of the most important things yeah um, so yeah, with the um, with what we're using today, I've just got an induction hob, which yep. is actually quite good because you can control the temperature oh, really okay. well. Yep. Um, but normal gas, anything else is fine. So we're going to put it on about three, which yeah. isn't very high. I'll hold you on the mic right? for Thank you. you. Yeah. So, so um, tell us about milk, because obviously milk is the bedrock of any yes. cheese um, and what you choose to make your cheese with is incredibly yeah. important so i mean it is good to use good quality milk yeah. if you can get something from the farmer's market um any kind of local milk is fantastic there's a few graham's is a very good quality one that you should be able to buy in some supermarkets okay. that's a really nice one we're just using an organic one for supermarket just to show you how you do it at home yeah. but we would normally on saturdays Sundays, there's a farmer's market in Ali Pali. Yeah, yeah. And yep. they do amazing milk. One. Do they? Who, so who, good. who down there is for any North Londoners? Robert, but um, I don't know what the brand's called. And do they sell cheese or do they just sell milk? Just milk. Do which they? is fab. Right, and I'm there's a there lot of Sunday. places like that <laughs> yeah. that do that. And you can kind of pop along yeah. and they'll give you nice. And sometimes it's quite fresh. There's like cream on. That's what you're yeah, looking for. The separation. That's it. And once you've got yeah. that, you've got good cheese. But with ricotta, because it's quite a low fat milk, yeah. a low fat cheese, we don't need to worry too much. You can use a supermarket milk and it will work. But, but try and get organic. Try if you can. and get organic. Yeah, yeah if you can. cool. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to add four litres wow. into here. So, yeah, we are making quite a lot um, into the big pan and just heat this through. Yeah. So you have to start. Four, what, how many, how much ricotta will four litres? Should make us you? four ricottas. Will so it? you don't get an awful lot, but. That seems, like, quite, that seems quite decent to me, though. Is that like sort of little. They're like got that. Tub so, sizes. Yeah, so that's 
What's Decent that about? sized tubs. Is that like 300 gram, do you reckon? I'd say, yeah, about 250, about 300. Two, yeah, it's not too bad. Um, which isn't bad at all, no. I think. And the well, magic as well. So did you, would you ever use um, raw milk? Yeah. Yeah. God, yeah, if I can get hold of it, yeah. yeah. So Muswell Hill this morning, we don't have it, but yeah. we, we are lucky enough to order in from the farms. Do you? So we order from um, places like Fen Farm Dairy that do Baron by God, which right. is an amazing cheese. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if you can get good milk. And raw milk is just unpasteurised. It is. And is it legal? Because it was a, there's it's a lot... It's legal of... in Scotland. <laughs> OK. So as long so as I've you buy it big, from Scotland. Yeah. No, no, no. It's illegal there. So oh. you can't take it into the country. It's oh, kind really? of like... Yeah, so when we were up there, actually, they were all asking, oh, what do you, do you like oh, raw you've milk? Because you just been on book tour in Scotland, Yes, yeah, so I've just yeah, been to yeah. Scotland. And they were saying, oh, we can't bring it in. We have to, you know, um, try and get it over the border. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. There's, there's so much controversy about, or there has been about... Um, unpasteurized so I guess unpasteurized cheeses and raw milk it's it's not been heated to a certain yeah. level to get rid of but it's so much better like yeah. it's it's the regulations are ridiculous in Scotland yeah. absolutely appalling and what's happened is in the past they've had a few problems mm. but they've gone so heavy on yeah I, I can't even understand why they've done it yeah but when I was up there at the delis they're also sad because you they know. want to use it yeah and, and I guess what raw cheeses. milk brings is an extra level of um oh, I don't know science microbes what is it yeah what, well, what no, is it they, in? we in the shop we only it's, sell it's particular really characteristics isn't it yeah. yeah and they taste better you know we because it brings its them. own character i guess exactly. is what i'm trying to say yeah which yeah. is not everything in the milk not everything alive in the milk has been killed off by yes, pasteurization and for us the only reason we sell we have some pasteurized cheeses yeah. but it tends to be for pregnancy um yeah. so the majority of our cheese i'd say 80 oh, percent wow. is unpasteurized yeah. Yeah. and we do a lot of raw cool. cheeses so yeah. it's yeah we prefer it yeah. um but yeah if you can get hold of it which you should be able to yeah. and there's places like um farm drop now yeah fantastic do they do it? yeah, yeah, yeah they do kind of fresh milk they're very very good because i think they're they're uh, the other thing i like about them is they don't have any food miles so they will deliver to you when they From fit their, in when they can find when they're going to locally, Muswell Hill. Yeah, that's brilliant. Which I think is fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, Farm Drops a very good one, and there's a few other online sites that you can use. So people can so like that that can start a journey off for people just finding finding the milk yeah, yeah. to start their cheese and also experimenting with it. Yeah, like different what works types, for you, yeah. what type of cheese you like, and because you're going to get a different tang from using different cheeses exactly. on you. Yeah, yeah. Because we've got the milk in the pan now. Just so, just so people know, yeah. it's a I'm looking. It's about a half hoffle but you've got a nine litre yeah. sort of pan so there. I'm up to kind of about four four litres in that this one's got a really good but it little... is just a normal pan it's not like some crazy no, big so this is just a normal pan yeah. um we get it from ikea yeah. they're big they kind of fit in the shop yeah and we either use it for spaghetti when we're not cheese making or shove the milk yeah. in there but it's not crazy big so it's no, not no, like no. you would probably have something in your cupboard that like yeah. your big just get your biggest pan out basically yeah and also you don't have to do the quantities we do like no. actually i'm doing double quantities of the book okay. with this one cool. so we want a little bit more ricotta so we can all try some yeah. But in the book, we're doing half of this quantity, okay, cool. which it just makes it easier. And you've just dropped in a little um, thermometer there. Yes. So this is the most important okay. cheese making equipment. Okay. Not expensive, <laughs> easy, but it's just a thermometer that you would get for jam making, yeah. cheese making. They're super easy. I think they're like 50 pence on Amazon. Right. Yeah, they're so good. <laughs> we no have them everywhere. Excuse, people. There's no excuse. Well, that's, I was very yeah. conscious when I was doing the book of people going out 
and buying that they huge because yeah. I'm a killer for it. You know, if there's a spiralizer that's on trend, yeah. I'll buy the biggest thing, and it sits <laughs> sits in my kitchen for years. And so with this, yeah. I've tried to do it on the most kind of easy to get kind of equipment you don't have to go and get muslin I've just got tea towels today but it should be very readily available for you and yeah so the thermometer's there and I'm just waiting for it to get up to temperature so I'm looking at about 120 I'm just going to add a little bit of salt to this Okay, yes. so so like all cheeses are salted. As you you yes. talk a bit in your book about cheese salt. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's probably not necessary for ricotta, <laughs> is not. it? No, but you can get hold of cheese salt, and again, it's something that's so super easy to order. Yeah. Um, in the back of the book, we've done like a huge index of the best places oh, to buy your amazing. equipment. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And loads of it's local. So we've got some people down in Sussex that yeah. we buy our stuff from. Yeah. All comes next day. It's cheap as well. Like it's not expensive, um, and the cultures, the salts, they're usually about a pound a bag or yeah. something. What's the difference between cheese salt and normal salt? Um, it's just to do with the acidity. Yeah. So I think that's it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah we... so basically, if you use normal salt, you're probably adding a bit more acid. And that's once it. you get up to your super um, sort of, com- well, not complicated, but your more intense cheese yes. making, you want to be controlling every little A little part bit, of yeah. It. And also, you want to be very, very conscious of making notes all yeah. the way through because with ricotta, you should be fine. But yeah. when you get to the more complicated cheeses, it's a really good idea to take note of what you're doing because sometimes it will come out and it's the worst cheese ever, or yeah. you would have made the best cheese ever and you want to remember how yeah, you made it. So you just want to know what, yeah. Because I guess things can really affect it. Like today, it's, it's, well, it's sunny now, but then we had hail before and it was freezing so even like temperature humidity the milk kind of it's it's really changes and sometimes you do get a happy accident yeah and you want to know what you did and was it because you used the same spoon as the vinegar and you added a little bit more I've done that before so you would literally go I'm using um I'm using organic milk that I brought from supermarket today I use this pan I use this spoon yes I use this vinegar like literally that yeah I do try and keep kind of little notes with this I think it's fine because it's pretty easy and you can control this very well but when you get a little bit more complicated, I think you you should make notes. Yeah. As I said, the best cheeses sometimes I've made haven't been my exact recipe I started with, right. and then they've changed. And you've the, tweaked it. Yeah. And I think the thing about the book is actually giving you a guideline. Mm. But already the funniest thing last week. So the book came out last Thursday, I yeah. think. And uh, a lady sent me on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, she'd scribbled out some of my recipe and, re- and rewritten. No way. But actually, Actually, what, she I, edited it for yeah. you. Nice. Pencil, and I thought, actually, we get no. a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, like, I was like, well, go you. Yeah. You know, if that's the way you like to do it, then. And I thought about it, and at first I was quite offended. And then I sat back and I was like, wait a minute, some of my recipe books, I've done the same, like a yeah. bit too much chilli or, you know, add a little bit more basil. Yeah. And I think that's quite lovely yeah. that she'd done it and she's making it her own. What was her little note to go along with? Well, the no, it was something to do with the fact that she wanted more lemon with the okay. paneer, oh, which is, right, yeah, yeah, so she liked it more lemony. Oh, well, that's, and that's she thought good. I'd put too much, she, it was too pressed for her. So was she it, liked it more. Liked kind it a bit of, looser. Yeah, which, you know, go you, I Margaret. so that was this week's podcast and if you want to explore more episodes you'll find us on all the main podcast platforms and at our website olivemagazine.com where you'll also find tons of useful recipes and cooking advice we also at the minute have a brilliant subs offer on the magazine where you can get five issues delivered for only five pounds just go to buysubscriptions.com forward slash allpod, that's O-L-P-O-D, to get the offer. 
Now, after your first issues, you automatically pay $20.99 for every six issues, but you can cancel at any time. T's and C's do apply. So that's it for this week. Stay safe and we'll see you next week when we'll have a brand new episode to listen to. Thank you.